And so Luke chapter number two, beginning in verse number eight, Jesus has just been born. He's lying in a manger. Uh, and in verse number eight, the Bible here says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So as we think of Jesus Messiah this morning, I want to speak on this thought, the proclamation of Messiah, the proclamation of Messiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you again, Lord Jesus, for coming, for being our Savior, uh, Lord, for doing for us what we cannot do. And Lord, I pray this morning that you'd help us to be reminded of some things as we reflect upon, uh, upon your birth and remember uh, Lord, the significance that it has in our lives. May it, may it be impactful to us today. And Lord, may you be able to work in and through us to impact the lives of others because of it. In Jesus' name, and amen. The proclamation of Messiah. You know, we've seen uh, that Jesus was promised and we uh, looked at how they promised and God came and he talked to Mary and to Joseph and he promised uh, that Jesus would come. We looked and we evaluated how that uh, John the Baptist was that forerunner. Even in his birth, he set the tone and that God told us in the meaning of the names of Zacharias and Elizabeth and John, that God has remembered his covenant after 400 years of silence and the grace of God was being bestowed upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the name Jesus is given there, it's in all caps, meaning Jehovah is salvation, that he is the Savior. Uh, he it reiterates that here too, uh, to, the, to the shepherds whenever he tells them uh, that a Savior is born in the city of David, which is Christ the Lord. There's no doubt. There are, a savior could be uh, anyone that comes to your aid when you're in need of saving. Uh, and so the angels are making it clear, hey, a savior has come. This is the Christ. This is the one and the only savior, the promised Messiah uh, from God. And so 
as we saw then, uh, Jesus was provided. The, the birth came and, uh, and he developed and was born and uh, laid in that manger. And now he's proclaimed. And that's what we ought to be doing with the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if he's saved you from your sin, if he's ransomed you, are we proclaiming the birth, the name, the, the, the power of God uh, as God has given us to do? And, and what we see here immediately upon the birth of Christ Though his birth is out of the way and unnoticed, it is proclaimed. It's proclaimed by heaven. It's proclaimed by the angels. It's, uh, it, is, it is proclaimed throughout the land. And so when we look at this this morning, we just want to take uh, a moment and consider here he is, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed son of God. Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is born. Emmanuel, God is with us. The king of heaven lies not in a not in a cradle uh, within a palace, but in a manger within a stable. You stop and you think about that. The great God of heaven, the creator of all that is, is a babe not lying in, uh, in, in the royalty, but in a manger. Amen. Nothing more than a trough in a stable. Because he was unwanted and rejected, there was no room for him. Uh, there was no place for him. He could not find a, a lodging place, so they had to make do uh, with what was there. But what God provided may not have been what was ideal to man, but it was suitable for the purpose of God. And the world didn't notice, but heaven could not remain silent. And the angels burst forth in song. The host of heaven came. The stars shone bright and the angels sang at the birth of the good shepherd and was as the birth of the good shepherd was proclaimed to the shepherds round about Bethlehem. Perhaps in the very fields that David once wrote the Psalms and worshiped God himself. And you stop and you think about all that took place and, uh, and how God worked in the hearts of these people and how he fulfilled every prophecy. Notice, first of all, this morning, the shepherds. Notice what they're doing in verse 8. It says in the, the, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Listen, these shepherds are here abiding in the field. They're not uh, taking a break. <coughs> they didn't call in sick. Uh, they're not out. Uh, out, you know, piddling around, not paying attention to what's going on. They're abiding in the field. What does that mean? That means that they're where they're supposed to be. There's a lot to be said for people that are just doing what they're supposed to be doing where they're supposed to be doing it. Thank God for those who are, uh, who are faithful to just faithfully serve the Lord, to faithfully be and do what, uh, what God has given us to do, whether it be uh, someone that is pastoring a church or teaching a class or uh, faithfully attending and participating. Uh, are we faithful this morning? They were where they were supposed to be and they were keeping watch over the flock. In other words, they were just doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, sometimes we get sidetracked or we get bored or with the mundane and, the, uh, and just the, the ordinary things of life. But I'm going to tell you this morning, it's those little seemingly insignificant mundane details in life that make all the difference. If you take care of the little things, the big things tend to take care of themselves. 
When the little things start to slip, it won't be long before the big things start to crumble. You can see examples of that in all kinds of ways and places. And sometimes it's tragic and sometimes it's usually tragic, in fact. And sometimes it's a huge loss of life. And in other times it's the destruction of an individual life. But take care of the details. They were taking care of the details. They were keeping watch over the flock. They weren't uh, distracted. They were, they were watching. What are they watching for? The security of the sheep, the safety of the sheep, watching against predators, watching for, uh, for provision to be made, making sure that they're getting the rest that they need and, uh, and that everything is as it should be. <coughs> Notice also that they're watching by night. You know, it's always true that, uh, that as the flock sleeps the, in the darkness, the danger is the greatest. It's always greatest danger when the things are dark. The darker our culture and society becomes in the, as far as uh, in the Christianity and Christian values and principles and morals, uh, then the darker things get, the more danger there is. The easier it is for, uh, for our enemy, our adversary, the devil, who's walking around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour to find his prey. Thank God that we've got, uh, that we've got uh, shepherd, a, great, a good shepherd watching over us. And watching over us in the darkness, watching over us in the night. And, uh, and we thank God for that. But it's important to note that these shepherds are abiding in the field and they are keeping watch over the flock by night. Notice the angel of the Lord. He came to those who were vigilant. The angel didn't go to those that lounged in comfort. He didn't go to those that were just taking rest or on vacation. I'm not against vacations this morning. I like to take mine when it rolls around too. I'm just saying the angel in this important moment in the history of eternity came to those who were vigilant. And so often we wonder, why doesn't God speak to me? Why doesn't God meet my needs? Why doesn't God uh, use my life? And sometimes perhaps the answer may be that we're just not abiding in the field, keeping watch over our flock by night. When God needs something done, he goes to those that, uh, that, are, that he knows are in the fight that are willing to do the job. It's always true that if you need something done, find someone that's already too busy to do it to do it if you want it to get done. Busy people find a way to make it happen and people with a lot of time on their hands generally find an excuse to not come through. The angel didn't come to those that were, uh, that were nonchalant in their, in, their, in their work and in their job and in their way of living. He came to those that were vigilant and that were keeping watch over the flock. Notice that when he came, he, shone, he shined glory round about them. The glory of God shined upon those that were vigilant to do the work of God. And that's the way that it always is. Sometimes... We sit and we'll say, well, I'm reading and I can't hear and I'm listening and I don't understand. Listen, the faithful and the vigilant often see what others do not see and understand what others cannot understand. When God shines his light, when God meets with you, when God meets with a body in his, uh, in his church, when God comes and reveals himself in a greater way, there is going to be the glory of God shining down. Uh, but if you're not walking with God and vigilant and faithful, you may very well miss the great things that God is doing. We see as the angels come and they make their proclamation, they say unto them, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now I'm going to look at three primary things this morning. I'm going to try to finish just a little bit early because of the other things that we've got planned today. No promises, but I'm going to try. I want you to see, first of all, in verse number 10, <coughs> that this first proclamation is a proclamation of joy. He claims that because Jesus has come, because Emmanuel is here, because God is with us, because, uh, because the Messiah, the anointed one of God, uh, is, is, has arrived, uh, that this is a proclamation of joy. He says, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Some things to notice here. The word joy here in a very basic uh, definition means this. It means, uh, it means calm delight and gladness. To, to have a calm delight, to be, uh, it doesn't have any indication as to what's going on around. Listen, the, if, I was, uh, if I was Joseph and Mary having a child in a stable and having to lie my, lay my child uh, in what essentially amounted to grave clothes in a manger to properly clothe him and to keep him uh, warm, I don't think that calm delight is what I would experience. I think I'd be stressed. But there's a calm delight. He, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, that calm delight, a gladness. Now, of course, they would have been glad at the healthy birth of the child, uh, but I wouldn't be glad about where I was having to spend the first few days. I'd be moaning and groaning and complaining. They're, they're just rejoicing and praising God. Uh, they're just they're just accepting what God's brought into their life. They're not uh, they're not upset and angry and uh, and bitter that uh, that someone else has it. Many other people, in fact, have it better than they do. Why wouldn't somebody in town look and see her condition and uh, and just be out of kindness say, "We'll stay in the stable so that you can have uh, the comfort of a room"? That wasn't the will of God, and they just were willing to accept it. It's a proclamation of joy. And there are two primary thoughts about this proclamation of joy uh, that we see here, here in, in verse number 10 when it says, I bring you good tidings which shall be to all people. And the first thing is that we see that I, I, he says, I bring good news. I'm bringing you the gospel. I'm bringing you the gospel wrapped in the most unlikely of packages. It's just a helpless little baby. And understand that that brand new child, uh, that brand new Jesus laying there uh, would not have been able to do so much as to even hold up his own head. Not to care anything for himself. Anyone could have, <coughs> could have without the protection of God upon him, come and, uh, and eliminated him in a moment's notice. But he's there under the protection of his father in heaven and under the care of Joseph and Mary. And, uh, and, a, and we see that the good news comes and that good news is that a savior is born. The savior is here. What humanity has been waiting for since the Garden of Eden has arrived. That promise of the one who would come to the serpent and crush his head has arrived. He's here. <clears throat> Verse 
As we consider that the Savior is born, think about that moment of Mary and she and, and her innocence when she was first approached and told uh, nine months earlier that you are the one that's going to be the mother of the Christ. And, uh, and to Joseph, as he was confronted and the angel came to him in a dream and said, Mary has not been unfaithful to you, that what's done in her is a miracle of God and uh, it's of the Holy Ghost and uh, you be his father and you, uh, you raise him and you train him and, uh, and teach him how to be a carpenter and you uh, and you be what he needs you to be and uh, and and you'll fade away into the sunset of eternity and be little spoken of except at Christmas time uh, but the reality is for all of eternity he'll be recognized as the one who cared for Jesus in his infant years Amen. we see that the Savior is born as they held that little face, that one that she had felt move and kick for weeks and that one that she now held in her arms realizing that this was no ordinary baby, that this was the Son of God. Imagine staring into those eyes and watching those little involuntary smiles and movements and recognizing who and what this child is. The Savior is born because Messiah Christ has come. And again, he makes it a point in verse 11 to tell you that a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, is born. He's no ordinary baby. He is Messiah. Christ has come. It is the gospel. It is the good news. It is the one who was born to die. It is the one who would become our sin. It is the one who would pay the debt. It is the one that would be the sacrifice, that would shed the blood, that would tear the veil, that would walk into the holy of holies and, uh, of heaven and sprinkle his blood and offered a sacrifice for our sin. The, a sacrifice that would be accepted for all eternity, rendering any further uh, animal sacrifice unnecessary because what they did temporarily, Jesus did for eternity. And when all that was said and done and whenever he had gone down into Hades and Sheol, the place of the dead, and he had gone to Abraham's bosom and he had led those forth that had been uh, waiting there for his, for his sacrifice, he went and led captivity captive and emerged with the keys of death and hell and took them into the presence of God where we'll someday be. And then he went back to that tomb and he reoccupied that body the stone was rolled away and the light couldn't be contained and Jesus emerged from that tomb resurrected from the dead Amen. death and hell conquered for eternity Amen. that's what he's done for us that's the good news I behold I bring you good news I'm bringing you the gospel and I want you to notice this morning not only is a Savior born and not only is it good news, but that good news is for all people. Notice what he says. Uh, that And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to the tribe of Judah. No. Which shall be to the Israelites? No. Which shall be to all people? And from the very beginning, Jesus was given for all. He was not uh, given for some. And 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse number 9 tells us that when it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. It shall be to all people. 
that all might come to repentance. He has not selected some for heaven and others for hell. He came and he paid the ransom for everyone. We see that sin and oppression shall cease. Well, pastor, sin and oppression haven't ceased here. Well, they will cease whenever he comes again in his glory. But I'm going to tell you something, Christian. Sin and oppression can sure cease in your life. The gospel can make itself fully manifest in your life. And I realize we'll never live in sinless perfection uh, in this earth. But you sure don't have to live under the control and the power of your sin. There's some people that they just choose. It's just hard to, it's hard to go against the grain of just doing what the flesh wants to do. And they let sin rule and control. And they put the bonds that Jesus took off of them back on. Because it's just easier to wear the shackles of sin than it is to live in freedom and, uh, and to glorify God. It, uh, it's easy to just blend and fit in with the culture. But that's not the life that he wants you to live. He wants you to live a life that's free from the burden and the bondage of your sin. And he's made it possible. And he says, Listen, the oppression of sin in your life shall cease. It's a proclamation of joy. Well, we ought to be joyful about that. That ought to give us a sweet calm and delight in our life. It ought to give us a gladness when we deal with these things in life. Secondly, this morning, it's a proclamation of hope. In verse number 11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Hope is this. It is the anticipation or to anticipate with pleasure. It is the expectation with confidence that something will come about. To be more specific, it is not just a blind hope. It is not just, well, boy, that would be nice if that happened. You know, if, uh, if the genie popped out of the bottle and, uh, and granted my wish, that would be great. I hope that happens someday. And that's not hope. That's just a wish. Don't confuse the two. Hope is looking at what God has promised and what God has done and how God has changed lives and taking inventory in that and realizing that if God's done that for you, then God can do that for me too. And if God has promised, then God will work. And if God has delivered, then God will use me and God will deliver my life and God will use my life. And then what I'm saying this morning, that this is a proclamation of hope, that hope has come, that Jesus is not here just because it's what he had to do, but he's here because he loves you and because he wants to make your life something great. Our hope this morning is in Jesus it's not in self. It's not in the words of man. It is not in the anticipation of, uh, of, of the government coming through with some kind of a bailout. It is just our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, in verses 13 and 14, he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Are we zealous to work for God, to live for God, to, to serve God, to please God? First Peter chapter 3, in verse number 9, uh, he said, Not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, but contrary rise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. God comes wanting to give us an inheritance from heaven. That we are uh, what God has for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 
in verses 3 through 5, uh, he said it this way, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are not trusting in our own good works and our own ability. Our hope is not in self-righteousness. Our hope is not in good works. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And our confidence is in him. I'm glad I don't have to be confident in me because I'd sure be without hope. I'm confident. My confidence is in Christ. Philippians chapter number one and uh, verse number six, uh, he said it this way, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is he who promised and it is he who will do. You cannot save yourself. You cannot keep yourself saved. You cannot live a godly life on your own power and your own strength. It is the work of God in you that saves you. It is the work of God in you that keeps you. It is the work of God in you that produces in you. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, he said it this way, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, uh, that was set before him, uh, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. He's right there at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for you. First, or John chapter 14 says, and praying for us. That the very babe that laid in that manger is now in heaven praying for you, having ransomed you from your sin. It's a proclamation of hope. Thirdly, consider this morning that it's a proclamation of peace. In verse number 14, as the angels sing, they say, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. <coughs> the thing that marks the Christian life is the ability to have peace. The word peace here simply means harmony and security. When we feel secure, we feel at peace. When our homes are harmonious, we feel at peace. When, when our church is in harmony with the word of God, the will of God, the work of God, we feel a peace uh, and we feel security. We don't feel uh, that we're in trouble. Uh, it's, it's, it's stated this way in, in the definition of the, Hebrew, of the Greek word here. That is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its eternal, with its eternal life uh, of whatsoever sort it is. It's eternal lot. Whatever God chooses for me. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, he, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said that godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content this morning with Jesus? Is Jesus enough for you? It's a proclamation of peace. Peace is this. Peace, number one, is first of all, is being in harmony with God and his will. Listen, peace doesn't come from being in harmony with the world. And peace doesn't come from being in harmony with self. Peace comes from being in harmony with God. 
And when I become in harmony and my life is in harmony with the word of God as God has revealed himself, then there is a peace that floods the soul. And as God reveals his will to, uh, to us as a church family and as God reveals his will for you uh, for as a family unit within the church and as God reveals his will to us as individuals that seek to love him and serve him and live for him, if we become in harmony with that will of God in our life as we're in harmony with the word of God in our life, then come what may from the world around us we have peace a peace that the world will never understand peace is being in harmony with God and his will it is being in harmony with God and his word it's knowing secondly that we are secure in our father's hand there's great peace in knowing that I'm in the hand of God this morning there's great peace in knowing that I'm in the will of God this morning and knowing that, uh, that God is in control. Hey, listen, if tragedy comes tomorrow, I know that God is in control. Yeah. If heartache comes tomorrow, I know that God is in control. If disappointment comes tonight, I know that God is in control. I can live at peace knowing that God is in control, even if the results or the activities aren't what I would personally choose for myself in that moment. I know that I can trust my Father in heaven because I'm in His hand and He's the Good Shepherd and He's vigilantly watching in the darkness better than those shepherds that sat on that hillside that night ever could have. Peace comes in knowing that I'm in my Father's hand. And that he loves me and that he'll correct me when I need correcting, that he'll feed me when I need to be fed, that he'll embrace me when I need to hug, that he'll encourage me when I need to be lifted up, that he'll push me when I need to shove and get me moving back in the right direction because he will do it not maliciously, but out of a loving heart because he's my father. It's a proclamation of peace. It's a proclamation of hope. It's a proclamation of joy. But I'm going to tell you this morning that, that those proclamations did not just come and go unheeded. Those proclamations provoked an action. And it moved the people that heard it. And we see that joy, hope, and peace produce an effect in the lives of those that are seeking the Lord. See, those shepherds were waiting for the promise to be delivered, but they had no expectation that the delivery would come on that night. They had no way of knowing that, that the angel had visited Mary months before. They had no way of comprehending that in their lifetime, it's much like us, us looking for the return of Christ uh, the second time as we know that he could come at any moment. They're waiting for Messiah to come the first time. They're just doing what they should do where they should do it. And they are going about their business. They have no anticipation uh, that we're, that's given to us in the scripture that this night would be the night. But it was the night and he came and they heard the proclamations and the proclamations produced an effect. When's the last time that a proclamation from God's word produced an effect in your life? When's the last time that the word of God pr provoked me to action? I want you to notice what it provoked in the shepherds. Notice in verse number 15. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven. Soon as the angels are gone, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste. 
want you to notice this morning that when we respond to the proclamation of God that we come to Jesus with haste. How long has it been since God spoke to my heart and I came to him with haste? How long has it been since God smote my heart, broke my heart, crushed my heart, spoke to me, encouraged me, and I came with haste? I couldn't wait another minute. I couldn't wait till the service was over. I couldn't dare not respond to the altar call, the invitation, because I have to respond to him with haste because he's given me joy and he's given me hope and he's given me peace. So often we let God speak to us and then we'll wait and deal with it when we get somewhere else, when we get home or we'll read something and we'll say, I'll respond later, God. Just remember that, hold that thought and speak to me again when it's a more convenient time for me to respond to you. If you remember our study through Acts, that was a response of Felix. Herod. When I have a more convenient time, Listen, we don't want to respond when there's a more convenient time. If God's spoken to you, respond with haste. They, they came with haste. And because they came with haste, notice what they found. Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. It's amazing how when I come to Jesus with haste that I find Jesus. Isn't it a, a, a miracle that, uh, you know, it, it's a, it astounds the mind that if I, if I come hastily where I'm, where I'm called to be, that I find what I'm supposed to find there? And so often Jesus speaks and we put it off and then whenever we get ready and we go looking for him, he's already moved on. If they would have waited, he would have been in Egypt. If they would have waited, he would have been elsewhere. But because they heard and because there was a proclamation and because they wanted to find Christ, they came with haste. And because they came with haste, they found him. Listen, when God speaks to you, if you find him, if you'll go search for him, you'll find him. He's wanting to find you. Notice what they saw in verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. What was the saying that was told them which was concerning the child? That unto you is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They made and known the abroad the saying. What they're doing is they're just going to tell everybody what they saw. What we see, a baby laying in a manger, oh, that would be an odd sight for sure, but that's not the message. No, we found Messiah. We found the promised one. We found the savior of our sins. We found the redeemer of Israel. We found the one that would occupy David's throne. We, we found the one that was promised that is the king of heaven. They saw Messiah. And still in verse 17, they told the world. They told everyone that would hear. And they told them in a way that the people were provoked to thought. Notice in verse number 18. And they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They didn't tell them in a way that it turned them off. They didn't tell them in a way that caused them to dismiss. They told them in such a way with such power and with such passion and with such obvious impact upon their own lives that it caused the people that heard the message to stop and to take inventory and to wonder about their own life and what they had heard. When's the last time, Christian, that our words and our testimonies made such an impact in someone's life that it caused them to stop and wonder? 
that the message of Jesus that we shared didn't cause them to laugh and to mock and to sneer and to jeer, but it caused them to stop and to wonder about what they've heard. The world wondered. And when, notice when it was all said and done that in verse 19, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she just soaked it all in. She kept these things and she dwelt on them. She pondered them in her heart. But notice the shepherds in verse 20. They returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. What should be the natural lifestyle of a Christian? That we are glorifying and praising God for all that we've seen and heard? Pastor, I haven't seen and heard anything. Maybe because you haven't been where you were supposed to be. Pastor, I would praise God if God shined his glory upon me. He shined his glory on the vigilant. He came to those that were in place. He came to those that were searching. He revealed himself in a mighty way to those that were out in the hillside watching, keeping watch over their flock. He, he, all of this was going on. He didn't have to go to that. He could have gone and, and proclaimed the birth of Messiah to anyone that he chose, but he didn't choose those who were complacent. He chose those that were out in the field. And he showed his glory to them. And it was miraculous and it was wonderful in their sight. And they had joy and they had hope and they had peace and they could not not respond. They rushed to Jesus and they found him. And when they saw what they saw and they recognized who he was, they couldn't keep silent. They had to go and tell everyone that was listening. And it made such an impact on their life that their words resonated with the people that heard them to the point that they stopped and they wondered at the miracle that they heard about. And whenever they uh, went and they got done telling what they had to say, where did they go? Back to the field. They didn't go off looking for fanfare and fame. They went back out to the pasture Amen. and they took a look and watch over that same flock. And while they were on their way and while they watched their flocks, they just praised God and glorified him. That God took the moment to look down upon them and say, let me bless you in this moment in eternity and shine my glory upon you. Look at my star. Now look at my son. Tell the world and rejoice in what I've done for you. Would we rejoice that Jesus is our Savior this morning? Would we be a people that let the, Lord, that let the world get by with canceling Christmas and, and just making it about uh, everybody else's holiday? No, this is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a Christian holiday. And this was once upon a time, not too long ago, a Christian nation. And God help us to be a people... Listen, I'm not saying look, look bad at somebody and say something uh, smart aleck to them if they, if they tell you happy holidays because that's, because that's what they've been told that they have to tell you at work. Uh, but you can, you can smile back at them and say, uh, Merry Christmas to you too. Well, what if that offends them? Sometimes the gospel's offensive. You're just giving them good news. As long as you're not giving it to them in an offensive way, just, just tell them about Jesus. He loves them. Whether they want to hear it or not, he loves them. Whether they realize it or not, they need him. And if we don't say it in such a way that's kind and loving and compassionate, but provocative, they'll never take inventory in their life and wonder 
about the one that's changed you. Jesus, Messiah, not a God, the God, the one and only. There's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And he started his life the way we started ours, minus a sinful nature. And he gave his life for us. We must proclaim the Messiah.